We try to live sustainably in preparation for what's likely to happen over the next 20 years. But what if we were still trying to do this in suburbia? Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of June 14th, 2012. You and I have been thinking some in the last few days about, you know, how would we do this if we were not here on a farm? What would we do if we had to adapt in place to the changes we expect to be coming? And we've got a little clothesline here of all of the changes that we are expecting. And I don't propose to make this a podcast about those changes. Um, So with your permission, we'll just run through those very quickly. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I think we have concluded together, and I will be honest to say most of this, uh, there's probably more of it from Lee than from Amanda, but I think you've accepted the reality of all of this um, remarkably well. So um, first, we think that all petroleum products, most notably for us consumers, gasoline and diesel fuel, will be either more expensive or, or harder to obtain or both during the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of that, the difficulty of maintaining the electrical grid is going to become more and more striking, and therefore the grid will be less reliable. Um, And a lot of the grid power we get comes from coal, and coal is going to be less harder to obtain as well and more expensive. As a result of all of that, we think that there will be an end to economic growth. In fact, we've already reached that point. Yes, there's lots of denial about it, but the fact is we haven't had any significant economic growth in many years. Well, and it was interesting. You were, on a side note, a podcast you were listening to the other day. The gentleman uh, who's being interviewed said, you know, everything else in the universe reaches a limit. I mean, growth is finite, well, except other than the universe, which is constantly expanding. <laughs> but, you know, everything uh, on the planet has a limit to its growth. Why do we think the economy is any different? Why, indeed. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and we are reaching that limit now. Yes, I think uh, so. The, the, all of those predictions about limits to growth that were issued and so vehemently rebuked Uh, a generation ago, turn out to be remarkably prescient, remarkably accurate, and that's what we're encountering now. Yeah. Uh, In addition, we expect that we will see runaway global weirding or warming, however you choose to call it. Climate change, whatever the name is that you use. When there is no economic growth, it doesn't make sense to lend money because the only way loaning money makes sense is for there to be more money out in the system to pay it back. So we expect that traditional bank lending, at least, will collapse. There just won't be any lending money available. There won't be any capital to speak of Mm -hmm. available. All of that means that uh, people here in the South, where we live, the southern United States, are going to have to live with using their heat pumps and air conditioners almost never. Um, 
and that's going to be a huge adjustment for a generation that has grown up with air conditioning. Not to mention how many office buildings have been constructed in the past 40 years plus that don't even have windows that open. It's all contingent upon, it's all completely dependent upon having reliable air conditioning. Exactly. Um, We think that food will get much more expensive relative to what we can afford to pay. And I have to make that complex statement. It's not that necessarily a tomato will cost $5, but if the tomato doesn't cost $5, it might as well cost $5 in the future because none of us will have much money to use to buy it. Yeah. So, um, in addition, we will see a generalized crumbling of infrastructure, things like bridges and street lights and street maintenance and highway maintenance and police law enforcement all are going to decline as a result of all of this. And, and I'm, very, I'm, I'm especially frightened of that prospect. We are, both of us are particularly um, scared uh, frightened by the prospect of a collapse of law enforcement. That's um, probably the number one issue we have that um, still frightens us. And I've been reading lately about how the Greeks are reacting to their version of all of this, which is setting in now, as all of us have been reading about in Greece. Mm -hmm. And the main effect I keep reading about is generalized depression. People Mm. are apathetic. They they lose their sense of energy. They lose their sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And... Um, they become suspicious and um, just don't see the point. It's demoralizing. <laughs> it is demoralizing. The kinds of economic crisis that they have faced. So yeah, and so you're you're assuming or maybe uh, interpolating that could happen to our population. Almost certainly will happen. That, yeah. Um, and all of this that we've that I've just laid out will be accompanied as it has been these past several years, by prodigious amounts of denial. Yeah, um, and, and looking for somebody to blame, too. Looking I'm for sure. somebody to blame and constant reassurances from the companies that are running our country that prosperity is just around the corner, just be patient, and everything will be great. So keep spending money as if people will have money to spend. Yeah. So all of that is a, that's, that's the clothesline. Can you think of anything else we need to add to that? Not really. We may encounter something else as we come along. Well, I think one side issue on the food um, cost is that if you recall back when ga- gas prices uh, peaked and it was harder to get fertilizer, uh, those dependent upon traditional agriculture will find that that is also an issue when you can no longer get fossil fuel. Good point. Um, so. it, the expense as well as just not being able to get a hold of it. So we're glad that we made the decision we did. If you are contemplating making a similar decision, it may not be too late, but it will be too late very soon now. Um, so and why what, do you say that? It'll be too late to buy themselves a farm, a little piece of land somewhere? Because very soon now, I think your ability to make this work is going to be a matter of life and death. 
it's not a matter of life and death for us now. It wasn't when we moved no. here. You know, if we had a bad crop of uh, vegetables one summer, we'll say, oh, shoot, that didn't work. Let, I guess we'll just have to go to the grocery store and buy vegetables. Or the farmer's market. <laughs> so, we had money yeah, yeah. to be able to use, and there were vegetables available to buy, and there are meats available to buy. Very soon now, once you cut yourself off from the amenities of the city, you're going to be in a position where you have to make it work. And yeah. if you have to make it work, you can't afford to make a mistake. You've got to... Um, yeah, you're right. You're you, right. you just have to be a success. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I have learned enough during these past three years that we're pretty confident we can make it work now, but we didn't have that competence when we moved here. So let's say that we still lived in the suburbs, and as many of our friends do live in the suburbs and may be stuck there, they may not think of themselves as being stuck, but not having the option to go out and buy a farm or some big piece of land, what can be done to adapt to uh, take a suburban home and adapt it to the needs that we see uh, people will be facing? And I guess that's the piece about which we have been doing some thinking. And we c we've come up with some strategies that are very specific to us. Mm -hmm. um, living in a suburb of a good-sized city in the southeastern United States, um, how could we make this work if we needed You're to? You're saying living where we did live. Living exactly yeah. in yeah. the house where we did live. What would we do now if we could not move? Well, well we had three acres, which is, again, an advantage that a lot of people wouldn't have. <clears throat> we had a lot of trees. And so we would have had to cut down a lot of trees to get enough light, sunlight in there to grow vegetables and other and fruit trees. Um, that having been said, a lot of people are on suburban lots where they don't have trees, where it's not a big... Yeah, where they have sun. Yeah, where Mama lives, for example. She's in Lake Forest. It's, it's very... Um, uh, Open. Almost no trees yeah, of, of I mean, any size. Because I think when they put in the subdivision, they basically clear-cut it and then went back and planted things like Bartlett pears, of all things. <laughs> exactly. So one of the first things we would do, we think, would be to cut down enough trees so that we could put some raised beds in mm -hmm. to um, start raising vegetables. Yeah, you could grow on three acres. It, you could grow on an acre, for that matter. You, you could just grow need to on... Less 200 than, square feet. Well, I was going to say, our, our vegetable growing area is much smaller than, I mean, it's more like a fourth of an acre. But the point is, you if you need to grow enough to feed a family of four, six, however, an extended family, um, you can grow intensively, exactly. as they do in urban gardens. It takes more labor. Hmm. It takes more time and attention. But that's one of the things that is that gets lost in all of this. In the days to come, in this 20-year time horizon we're describing, mm -hmm. we'll have a lot more leisure time. Yeah. Leisure, I, I should say leisure. We'll have a lot more time. Time. <laughs> it may not be leisurely, and it right. may not be a desirable And And our own time, we've, in, in many cases, we've grown up viewing our own time as this precious commodity that we need to save our own time whenever possible. And in the 20 years to come, we're going to have much more time. So the time it takes to maintain a garden well, 
Not a problem. Not a problem, yeah. The time it takes to walk down the street and visit with your neighbor, not a problem. Yeah. So, all so right, they can so, afford to construct themselves some raised beds and maximize yeah. their productivity that way. And start small. That's mm-hmm. you know the number one piece of advice that everyone gives to new gardeners is start small, and that would certainly be yes. our suggestion as yes. well. And uh, whatever work they do, they need to make sure it's not a long commute to the office because gas is going to be... Um, as we've talked about, in limited in availability and extremely dear in price. Ideally, you find a, find something you can do to make money while working in your home mm-hmm. or certainly really <clears throat> close to your home. Yeah. And what kinds of uh, meat sources and, uh, of course, protein sources, I think that's what I'm really looking at, chickens. Right. And number the, one would yeah, be chickens. Chickens, laying hens. Um, right. We are not aware of many cities where you are unable to keep um, a handful of laying hens. Roosters, another story. Roosters, yeah. are, they're noisy and they can disturb the neighbors and they can make a spectacle of themselves. And so you end up... <laughs> That's what roosters do. <laughs> ...with relatively few roosters living in the city. But you don't need a rooster to have an effective body of laying hens yeah. in a coop that you feed mm-hmm. and you know collect eggs from right. and so forth. And particularly if you have... A garden where you're creating refuse. Chickens love to eat garden scraps. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a, a zucchini that got too big for us mm-hmm. to enjoy as humans is a delicacy to chickens. Oh, They'll yeah. go after it with yeah. a vengeance. So, not to mention they'll eat all the bugs and you know they peck around for different pests that you might not want living in your garden anyway. So you won't good to care have. for this next one, but I think there's a real role for rabbits to play, meat rabbits mm-hmm. in uh, uh, an ongoing kind of urban farming operation. They are um, really efficient in terms of converting feed to meat. Mm-hmm. They, have, they produce very healthy flesh, probably healthier than chicken even. They are, uh, and they're wonderful producers of manure. Yeah. So uh, for all of those reasons, meat rabbits make a lot of sense. Well, I think if it's a matter of survival, I could certainly see doing that. Uh, Not my favorite animal to try to eat right now, but... uh, Yeah, the main issue with rabbits is the cuteness factor. Yeah, the cuteness factor. Cuter than chickens, even. Uh, Now, let's talk about keeping our home livable uh, one of the things that we think we would do is uh, deal with the sun coming in in the summertime. Yes. Um, where you would need to add overhangs on the south and some kind of shading you can open and close on the east and the west. Mm-hmm. More than simply blinds. Blinds help, but they're nowhere near mm-hmm. as effective <laughs> as shading that you keep outside your living space. Yeah. So that's a a significant expense that may be worth incurring while you still have money available. Yeah. And we're learning from the way we've built our lodge and our apartment that that shading, uh, not having the sun come in on the east, on, on the west side is very important. We had the luxury <laughs> of being able to design both the barn and the lodge from scratch. And we did so such that during the summertime, there's never any sunshine that penetrates either of these living spaces. And it makes a huge difference. It makes it much more comfortable to 
to relax here yeah. in the summertime. Well, this next suggestion is one that we are actually planning to use up at our lodge, which is to employ rain barrels to catch water that you use for gardening to water your your Sort of a no-brainer, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because um, um, that water, I've watched that water come off the gutter system and... It's incredible. I don't want to just let that go. We do understand, of course, rain barrels are fine. If someone had the money, I guess they could put in a cistern. Those are expensive, but they could really harvest a lot of water that way. Yeah, that's a lot of of structure and expense to undertake. But yeah, if you're really committed to this and you have a big roof, then you Mm -hmm. might consider a cistern system. But then you have to figure out how to pump it from that cistern to wherever it yeah. needs to be. The nice thing about rain barrels is you can catch it in a rain barrel and then just open a tap at the bottom and out the water out comes. Out the water comes, yeah. Of course, the the uh, anybody who has rain barrels will tell you that the number one problem with rain barrels is when you most need the water is when the rain barrel is empty. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's just the, the way that works. The way it works. And then, of course, um, compact fluorescent light bulbs. Save or energy. LED light bulbs, or LED, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, we still had a few incandescents when we moved at um, from our suburban home, and we probably would have finished doing the conversion of that by now. It gives us the creeps to turn on an incandescent light bulb these days. We feel that heat, and it's like, ee, you know, you just realizing, oh gosh, I'm just pouring money out the door. Yeah, so we don't buy those anymore. We and don't buy those, and don't have them. Um, anywhere where we live and anywhere anyone in the the whole idea of anyone in the suburbs can make that conversion they don't have to be on a farm to do that i'm pretty sure that probably by now we would have changed our way of living so that we spent more time in the basement and the screen porch during the summer Mm -hmm. Um, the nice thing about the basement and the screen porch is that both of those are spaces that are livable during the summer. Um, the basement because it's earth sheltered, the screen mm-hmm. porch because in our particular case, the screen porch was on the north side of the house. And we had a couple of fans overhead, ceiling fans that really helped circulate the air too. So it made both of those spaces rather comfortable even in yeah. the heat of the summer. And I'm guessing that, um, well, I don't know whether we would have learned by now to get along without the heat pump at all. We pro- I'm sure we would have used a much higher thermostat setting and might have turned it off entirely by and now. And I think we should mention that we acknowledge a lot of people do not have the luxury of living in a suburban area where they can have a basement. Much of Montgomery, our hometown originally, uh, is prairie soil you really can't effectively build a basement there so they're not going to have that option but screen but, porches could be and those a could lot be of added. people can add a screen porch on the north side of their house yeah and that can make a huge difference to have mm. a, a livable space um we had even, an attic fan too would that make a difference an Probably. attic fan helped us would help us today if we did not run the heat pump you're that's a good point mm-hmm. i had forgotten about the attic fan yeah um, probably by now we would have increased the insulation and the ventilation in the attic. Nowadays, as you know, the practice is not to keep a big barrier between the attic and the living space. It's to insulate the roof of the attic so that the mm-hmm. attic itself is not all that warm. And I, I imagine by now we would have done that. And Yeah. 
Well, then you can use, well, we did use our attic to store things, but boy, if you ever went up there during the Ooh. summertime, you could fry an egg up there probably. Right. But, and, and if you do what most people are doing nowadays when they start over again, you're insulating that space above the attic so that the attic itself is only a few degrees warmer than the living space, and then you don't have to worry quite so much about insulating the space between the attic and the living That's space. That's right, yeah. Um, by now, I would hope we would have reached out to our neighbors more. And I'm thinking not only the people who live next to us, we, we sort of knew them and kept yeah, up with them. Yeah, we did. But the people who live uh, down the street from us, the people who live across the main road from mm-hmm. us and yeah. getting to know them. That's something you and I have talked about doing here and have never really done a good job of it we yet. We really and haven't. we know we need to. Yeah. But you're right. Neighbors will come together more, maybe come up with ways. I mean, we were lucky in our suburban home that we could have, we were within a, maybe an easy bike ride of the main shopping area. So you might have ways that of course, who knows what would happen to the shopping area if you have such, mm-hmm. um, you have to take such draconian measures. But you're right, there, there could be neighborhood, in fact, neighborhood watches will probably be more important than ever. So our bottom line, I guess, is that <laughs> if you find yourself, and many of our listeners will, in a position where you are dealing with these um, difficult circumstances and don't have the option to change your residence, there are some things you can do beginning today so that you will be more adequately prepared for them and will be able to have a good life even while living in the in your suburban home or in your apartment or whatever. And we hope that uh, the government will take a role in this and offer tax credits and incentives for retrofitting and helping people. You can't count on that. No. But that's the kind of government we'd like to see is offering aid and assistance for this next phase of, of life that we'll all be facing. Well, we've run out of time, so we better let it stop there. Um, been a fun conversation. I've enjoyed this. Me too. See you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.